freedom from ignorance and suffering from uh, to be free from anger and greed and so forth we we have those wishes and aspirations that we can have but yet in daily life and in the experience of life we find ourselves bogged down they were on bogs up on Dartmoor I began to bogged down that means a lot more to me these to have been on Dartmoor. <coughs> being bogged down in in these kind of uh, in, in endless uh, series of negative uh, mental states. And it can become so uh, so so strong, so pervading, especially as you get older, if you don't really resolve these states, if you don't know how to transcend and and resolve them in your mind, you're merely just suppressing uh, 
or indulging in them, then, of course, as life goes on, it gets worse and worse. Because the the, uh, the the kind of conditions we find ourselves in are in the constant state of change, and and that change always involves the decay and death and uh, disintegration uh, and the separation and the loss of things that we love and like or are identified with or attached to. So that the the mortal realm that we live in. We live in in a realm of mortality, of death, which we don't really accept in that perspective. We we think maybe that's a morbid or kind of depressing way to look at it, uh, because uh, the idea of death is is seen as something frightening or or something even bad or evil, uh, and we can refuse to really try to to understand or to come to terms with this process that we're very much involved with having been born then the 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 growing to the maturity and then the, the then the degeneration toward death is a part is, is is a lifetime a human lifetime an experience that every human being has <coughs> So this, in, instead of being re- judged as in, in any way or regarded as if, you know, as if something was wrong with it, we begin to reflect upon it and understand it because it is what we're experiencing, what affects us, and what affects all human beings everywhere. Then it's obviously something to be understood something that we we can't we can't understand we can't understand those forces those things that happen to us there are many things we can't understand they're beyond our ability in this human state and oftentimes those are the very things that we want to understand the most and the human beings are more interested in in uh, galaxies light years away than in the state of their own mind and we'd much rather we we kind of distracted into into uh, looking far away, overlooking the present, to look out into some distant uh, place and try to figure out what's going on, rather than than uh, really looking at oneself to to really take the time to accept and look at and observe the way things really are within your own experience as an individual human being is something that we have to uh, awaken to because the tendency is to always be trying to get something else, something we don't have, or get rid of what we have the the indulgence and, and the suppression and the desire to, to achieve and attain get somewhere uh, and the desire to get rid of the things that, that uh, prevent us or that make us unhappy the desire to annihilate or destroy all forms of pain, misery, suffering that we experience but this can be reflected upon and this is what the Buddha was pointing to that 
that we can actually uh, witness and observe this, learn from it, learn from these desires that we have, learn from the way we are and the, the fears and the desires, the, the all the emotional states that we experience. That uh, the human being is a being that has many layers, so that we one layer, one say what we say modern. Uh, the modern world very much um, we're educated to to uh, exalt our rational faculties, our ability to to think and to con- to make perceptions, our ability to to be rational, to be able to we have the ability to conceive uh, the highest possibilities, ideals that that are of the the grandest and the, the, they are the superlatives, uh, the superlative possibilities that we can imagine. We have this ability to to imagine what would be, what should be, or the very best. And as well, we can also imagine uh, the uh, the worst. We have the concept conceptions of heaven and hell, uh, or say the very best that we can possibly think of. Uh, for for human experience would be heaven or hell is the is the worst possible thing the forms of pain and misery that that we can imagine uh, so that this is a function of our mind to create perceptions on these extremes heaven and hell right and wrong good and bad the shoulds uh, of our lives we can we we can see, we can see how everything should be how oneself should be, how one's parents should have been, how Britain should be, how uh, the EEC should be, how America should be, how John Major should be, how Pope should be, how President Bush should be, and how oneself should be, one's wife, husband, children, and onwards, and how they shouldn't be. So these, this is a function of our mind uh, that that we we give a lot of importance to and affects us very strongly, because uh, we can we can say modern educated humanity can easily knows how things should be, and because of that we are we feel somehow very threatened and very critical and very. Uh, anxious about the way things are as we're experiencing because life is not what it should be we're not what we should be and Britain isn't what it should be and nothing is what it should be so obviously this is a function of the mind that has a purpose but if it's not if that purpose is not recognized and not considered and not accepted then as a mere attachment if we're merely attaching to ideals uh, of how everything should be, we can only feel uh, terribly upset and worried and critical and anxious about the, our own experience of life and how things appear to be. Because modern, say, say modern news of the day is always about, usually about the worst things that happen, uh, that the kind of 
atrocities that, that human beings commit and scandals and corruption and uh, and this is not how life should be and this is not how people should be this is not how people should act like in Yugoslavia they shouldn't be doing that they shouldn't be slaughtering each other and in other places in the world it's, it shouldn't be like this it's not right, it's not fair uh, and emotionally then we feel very threatened and and our emotions tend to, and we get depressed, or we get cynical, or, or about the world, about ourselves, because uh, emotionally uh, we we're we're reacting to an ideal of perfection. But life is like this; it's, it's not an ideal. It's a dynamic flow. Uh, it's it's not a static ideal. So the shoulds are like static positions, aren't they? Ideals are fixed. An ideal can stay the same. You can think of it when you're 16 years old, when you're 60, it's still the same. It, it doesn't change. It is it, say, the, how things should be, a, a fair and just society, a, uh, how the lion laying down with the lamb the aggressive forces uh, learning to to give up their selfish interest and to to learn how to be more humble and considerate and we we can we, we these are static ideas they're like uh, you know they're they're like marble images they're very beautiful but they like the marble images we see of, of human beings they they can be made to look exactly like a like a human being but and they they have all the beauty but they also don't have the the dynamic changing uh, and intelligence and sensitivity that human beings have so ideals don't either <coughs> when you fasten and fix on uh, a world of ideals, you lose your sensitivity. All you can do is react with fear, with criticism, with anger, with outrage uh, against the injustices, unfairnesses, stupidities uh, that you see in the world around you, or even in yourself. But we can also learn how to awaken to these different layers and functions of our mind. And this is what, say, what meditation is helping us to do, if we're doing it the right way. We're beginning to see that, that ideals are as a very uh, miraculous, wonderful function of our mind. But as an identity and as an attachment, it only deludes us only makes us miserable. Uh, in, in the Western world, isn't it, we have uh, a modern affluent society it's where we, we expect a lot from life. We expect life to, to give us a lot. If you've lived in third world countries among uh, poor people, they don't expect very much. They don't have such high expectations or, or high demands on life because uh, they know that they, I mean, there's a 
if you're on the level of survival, you're just glad to get enough food to feed your family for one for the day, or even for one meal. You're not th- complaining about the fact that that you you that you uh, can't uh, have all the food and all the uh, right political rights and uh, privileges and that that you can that you think you should have if you're just trying to survive. But in the modern uh, affluent society where they, the middle class tends to to predominate, then there's a, a high expectations and demands on ourselves, on the government, on the country, the society. Emotionally, then they what they when we talk about emotions is these are they when I use that word emotion is the the, the kind of reactive tendencies to the to the experiences that we have like what uh, we can see something beautiful and emotionally we can we we if we if we're not mindful or not aware we're merely reacting to the beauty we. We can go into kind of ecstasy. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that absolutely fantastic? I just have to have it. And there's an emotional reaction of a kind of uh, 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 emotional happiness that that uh, is triggered off when we see or hear or whatever when something beautiful comes into our consciousness. Or say the opposite: something unpleasant. Uh, ugly, uh, disgusting comes into our field of consciousness, and then we can it's utterly horrible. I, I can't stand it. I don't want it. Shouldn't be like that. That's an emotional reaction. So emotional reactions are uh, oftentimes uh, not hi- we're not highly developed on the emotional level. The, the ultimate, say the the ideal in the Buddhist world, uh, Buddhist. Uh, Attitudes is to develop in the emotional uh, uh, ability of our minds towards equanimity, towards an emotional balance, rather than the roller coaster uh, uh, up and down, uh, where emotionally we're just going from from ecstasy to depression over that which uh, impinges or touches uh, us in some way. Say so if we have no if we have, uh, if we if uh, if we don't uh, say learn to balance our emotions through mindfulness, then we are just caught in the in this kind of extreme reactions to life. Uh, some people just suppress their emotions, so they they try not to react at all. They just hold it all back and and try to view everything in a very rational, sensible, and reasonable way. That's one way of dealing with it, but that's not equanimity. That is suppression. Uh, emotions need to be understood, need to be developed, need to be balanced, and and that's not through suppressing them, but through understanding them. Because emotions are the result of our sensitive state. We're in this very sensitive form. The human 
form, this, this realm we live in, the, the sense world. It is a total sense experience. From the day you're born to the to the day you die, you're in. You're going to be experiencing pleasure and pain of some sort, or something, something nice and something not so nice. We experience most of our life is not an extreme. It's 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 more on let's say neutral experiences, but we don't notice neutrality. We don't, we don't we pay no attention to to the neither pleasurable nor painfulness of our sense experience. We tend to seek after extreme pleasures, the more kind of extreme pleasures, uh, and and because of that we dread. Uh, become neurotic around possibilities of extreme forms of pain or displeasure. In modern life, isn't it? You see, they're just like having a television or all these kind of these uh, miraculous technology that we've developed in an attempt to to be able to kind of instantly have some extreme kind of pleasurable experience as quickly as possible. Uh, and to uh, and then to try to organize the world, the society, the the family, oneself, uh, everything in a way that that we can uh, kind of try to prevent as much pain, misery, insecurity as uh, as possible. We want the illusion that that we're safe and secure, and everything's all right, and we're going to get better and better. We're going to get progress, develop achieve, attain, uh, everything is going to just improve continuously. But we know that's not the way it really is, isn't it? And yet, if we don't reflect and contemplate the way it is, then we tend to to make rather immature uh, attitude. We we tend to form immature attitudes and emotional reactions that we ca- can carry through for a whole lifetime. Not no not understanding, not giving, not really coming to terms with our own humanity and the state that we live in, not having paid attention to it or investigated it or made any attempt to understand it. We can just go through a whole lifetime caught in the uh, in just reacting to life from the basic conditioning we've received in the early years of our life. Modern society, to me, this is just my my opinion for what it's worth, it doesn't allow people to to develop emotionally. You kind of get stuck. Uh, we're developed intellectually very well of modern education, things like that. We, we, we know a lot about things. We develop the, our rational faculties. And, and uh, in a country like this, there's so much emphasis and praise for that, that kind of achievement. So we find ourselves, you know, adults, uh, uh, physically, with university degrees, uh, we've acquired a wide knowledge, range of knowledge and ability to, to operate uh, in the society in certain kind of rational, reasonable ways. 
But emotionally, we can still be uh, like little children. And this is this is and because it's not not don't take it personally, but because the society is not one that that allows emotional development to to uh, happen, isn't it? The modern society is trying to keep us on a level of of wanting things like little children want them, just uh, kind of dangling increasingly attractive possibilities and options and alternatives in front of us and and uh, appealing to that in us says I want it, I've got to have it I want it right now I don't have to wait when I was a, as a boy, I, I went up, what I wanted I wanted right now, I didn't want to have to wait for it I wanted it instantly and when I didn't get it I get angry throw a tantrum uh, make my mother miserable till she she get me what I want. <laughs> and sometimes we haven't really gone for much further than that emotionally, uh, because uh, this to develop emotionally it takes a, a different kind of education. You don't you don't learn that in the university or in business world or in uh, the the uh, adult world of, of a modern materialist society. This comes through, uh, say, making an effort to understand to to try to uh, say allow yourself to feel life more and to to let go of these uh, just very uh, react these these uh, r this reactiveness to it to learn how to be patient with pain or with boredom or with the the dreariness of life or be accepting of of the fears and anxieties and the and the insecurity uncertainty uh, that haunts us in our lives to be able to to bear with it, to endure, to accept it, or to even embrace it, allows uh, us to uh, uh, to develop a sense of emotional balance. Where if we're merely caught in in reacting to to any kind of threat or insecurity and uh, any form of uh, uh, say unpleasantness, we want to get rid of it immediately. Or we want to get away from it, distract ourselves immediately, run away. Or say on the positive side, thinking that, that if we get everything we want, uh, then we will somehow, that will somehow, the, the idea that, it, that we'll somehow be very happy when we get everything we want. But of course, it's not true. If, when you get everything you want, you still want something more than that. Because uh, if you've not really understood the nature of your emotions, then your emotions are just habits you've developed so that they're not going to be content with having everything. They're going to want more than everything. 
where when you when you observe that when you observe this this uh, this desire to have more to have better uh, and see it in as a condition of your mind rather than a, than an important message to follow and and believe in then you you realize you don't need all, to have everything that you want you can be quite content and perfectly happy with not having very much in fact uh, being a buddhist monk is, is is a good good uh, kind of experience in learning how to be content with with very little uh, and this is uh, and, and you find that it's really quite wonderful to to find that you don't need very much as a, as a human being where say, my conditioning my cultural conditioning was very much the opposite I need a lot I, I need a lot of things in order to be comfortable and safe and secure and happy I've got to have all kinds of things I've got to have money I've got to have uh, uh, I've got to have a stable society a good government I've got to have insurance I've got to have a bank account I've got to own my own home pay off the mortgage have have uh, relationships that are that are stable and sec- and give me a sense of security I've got to have all these things in order to to feel that life is okay and I'm all right but when we are when we break through that illusion say the like they say the the Buddhist monk requisites on rag robes alms food that you collect uh, in the morning uh, it's very basic allowances for survival uh, and that's that that's your expectation kind of very low expectation means that that you can get perspective on your emotional uh, fears and anxieties and one how that's a very effective practice the, the the monastic reflections on the four requisites because it helps you to see how you're conditioned to think you've got to have all kinds of things And once you see that, once you observe that this is just a, an emotional reaction, as a pattern, a habit, emotional habits, you you can let go of that. You can resolve those emotions, not suppress them. You're not trying to get rid of them uh, because you, you you don't like them or you're you're judging them in some way. You're merely seeing them that they're that they're conditions that you can uh, once you see them for what they are, you can let them go. Then they cease. So more and more you you find this this you you realize a, an emotional balance of equanimity or upeka the Pali word upeka is, is equanimity emotional balance being content in life being a, a, a feeling of, of of not content because everything is guaranteed safe and provided for and everything and, and 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 everything's going all right but being content within yourself because you understand yourself you know yourself you understand the nature of your mind you know how it works it no longer has the power to delude you or to 
to uh, pull you around by the nose, to upset you and, and uh, make your life into uh, an endless kind of worry and anxiety. The human mind, with its with its uh, rational faculties, with its emotions, its feelings, but there's also there's there's an intuitive faculty, and intuition is not uh, is not given very much importance in Western society at all, is it? We we generally refer women or maybe have intuitions and we, we put it down as something that you can't trust it's a bit you know untrustworthy because it's just an intuition and we we don't know we don't quite understand that and I think I think um, women tend to be um, more I think intuitive uh, at least it seems to me it's, this is not absolutely right I'm sure but, but they they do have uh, an intuition and they tend to to uh, use it more I think than men do because uh, most men I know including myself love their rational faculties we like to have things ordered and put in in neat categories perceptions uh, have file cabinets and now it's computers isn't it and have everything kind of neatly arranged in alphabetical order in numerical sequences and so intuition sometimes is even though we have it it's not something that we 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 really understand or trust or value in our life experience now what what do I mean by intuition? That that stability that in the here and now, intuitive is intuitive abilities are always in the present moment. It's it's the sensitivity, the the openness of the mind and heart in the moment to feel what the the things the things that are touching it or affecting it in this moment. Which can be from your produced from your own mind and also from the uh, things around you, like intuition, you can pick up the the kind of mood or the 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 uh, atmosphere of a place that you happen to be in in the present or you can you can, you, you it's it's nonverbal it's not it's not rational. It's it's not a perception of anything. It's not trying to to fix on uh, or label that this 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 atmosphere, this mood is is this way or that way. Because as soon as you try to perceive it, uh, put a name to it, uh, then of course it uh, it it tends that that's not really it. Because intuition is 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 awareness, uh, an immediate awareness. Which is, which has, which has, we we needn't verbalize. When we try to explain it, maybe we have to. We of course we have to use words, but but then it's not quite. The words oftentimes are not very adequate for explaining intuitions. Why, oftentimes people 
write poetry or, or art comes from that. Artistic, creative abilities, uh, oftentimes our attempts to try to, to from the intuitive experience, intuitive ability that human beings have. In meditation, we're, we're using this a lot, the intuition. We're, with mindfulness, we're, 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 we're observing, we're witnessing, we're noticing the present as is, the way it is, uh, without trying to fit it into any particular category, perceptual category. It's this way, the suchness, the as-isness, it's this way, and the feeling is this way. The feeling that I'm experiencing now is this way. Say, well, how, what exactly are you feeling right now? Well, you, you want, as soon as you try to hunt for a, a word, uh, you, you, you're, no, you're no longer with it. Uh, you, you're, you're trying to fit something, uh, an intuition, into a, a fixed perception. So we get confused. I notice when people are trying to explain their intuitions, they sometimes uh, get very confused because it, uh, the the, the uh, language ability is just not adequate to describe it. And yet we give so much importance to our ability to rationalize and to explain and define with perception. We think that is such a that is so important. And, but it also is. It has its function and its purpose. But it also has its limitations. And this we have to recognize. Just experiments with the loss of of uh, the love, for example, in the past few years. Um, before, say, the past five years, I've lost uh, my parents, my teacher, and various others. So, I mean, it's, and before that, there was very little loss in my life. Like, uh, I mean, people close to me, or people that I, you know, that were that were very important to me. Uh, they seemed to, that there was not this, they didn't die, they, we, we, or say it's only happened really in the past five years. So in this past five years I've, I've, ha I've had the opportunity to look at this, uh, at the, say, the grief or the sense of loss, say, of one's parents, my own parents. Now there's a, an attitude in the Sangha that, that if you're really mindful you don't feel anything. Like an arahant doesn't feel grief anymore. So you get this idea that, that if you're really mindful and when your mother dies you just, you just don't feel anything. You're beyond feeling. And so you grasp that perception of, of that you shouldn't be, if you're mindful you shouldn't feel anything. And that any feeling you are having is uh, is because you're not being mindful enough. 
But then that is grasping a perception of mindfulness in a perception of uh, of an arahant and an ideal. You're grasping, and it may be the party line of of Buddhist monks, or they, or you know, just the way people, the the limitation of of uh, of language and perception, and you're grasping those perceptions. So when when my mother died, I decided that I was going to just observe how I did feel, not try to control the feeling, but just be with the feeling. And so that was, uh, and one could see that there's something that one could feel, a sense of grief or loss, which is a natural kind of feeling to have, uh, and, and just the perception of, of your mother as, as dead, other than alive and it's that way but that which is aware is not grieving grief is is something that that uh, one can observe and witness and and not not judge not indulge in or suppress but recognize its suchness and by doing that you you you're you're resolving that that, you're, that kind of uh, emotion then is resolved in your mind. It's neither it's neither suppressed. You're not trying to to have a stiff upper lip or act like an arahant. Uh, you're not you're not uh, going into I've got to express my grief and I've got to really feel this grief to the fullest and I must weep and wail. I must get it out of my system like they you know they kind of modern therapies. You're not going into a kind of uh, over-the-top idea that you've got to do something with this grief or totally experience it, confront it. and uh, But you're just aware of the feeling on the intuitive, uh, through intuition. It's this way. It's the way it is. And in that, then, then these, 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 exp- these emotions that we have can be resolved. We can let them go. And in that, we move with that ability. Then we move toward equanimity. We still feel because that's this is the a feeling realm. This is a sense realm, sensual realm, sensitive realm that we are born into and so it's it's this way it, it, it's a total experience of feeling but the way out of the uh, of suffering from this sensitivity this feeling is by understanding it and by seeing it in the, in in terms of, of of transcending it of not identifying with the changing conditions the emotions that we that we're experiencing or the, or not identifying with the rational perceptions, the ideals either. We're not grasping ideas or ideals, identifying with with that or with with the uh, uh, emotional reactions we have to the experiences of life. We're a witness, an observer, a knower. 
is what we call mindfulness combined with wisdom. Developing wisdom in our conscious experience of life is is through this developing uh, this sense of awareness and patient endurance with it and willingness to accept the flow of life as it happens to us and this isn't a kind of fatalistic resignation to life last night somebody asked me after the talk well they just you know if bad things happen you just kind of well, that's life you know and just kind of passively kind of accept misery it's not what I'm saying it's not a, a, a kind of fatalistic resignation to misery and suffering but it is it is a willingness to to suffer and learn from it which is a very different thing fatalistic resig, uh, resignation is a, is a kind of negative nothing I can do about it it's the way life is it's a kind of it's a cynicism or it's a stupidity of the mind a laziness uh, it's, there's no there's no uh, there's no wisdom in just resigning yourself to fate but there is wisdom in accepting what's happening not because and, and that's not resignation but it, because what is happening now is the way it is and there's nothing much you can do about it except accept it except accept it <laughs> and accepting doesn't mean uh, approving but it means that to, to really understand something you have to accept it first if you really want to understand your emotions you have to accept your emotions the way they are if you're always judging your emotions and say oh I I shouldn't be feeling this way or if you're indulging or suppressing then you can never get any perspective on your emotions immediately you feel something you feel anger then you think oh I shouldn't get angry <laughs> if you, but if you accept your anger that doesn't mean that you're, you're saying uh, that anger is alright it means that you're accepting it you're, you're saying this is, this, is, this is anger it's like this and then you can, you can understand it you can see it you can get perspective on it with fear and with, with anxiety and worry and these kind of miserable negative mental states that, that follow us around to accept them means that we we study them if you're going if you're going to study something you have to take time to really look at it to concentrate on it to in order to understand it and to come to terms with it you have to accept it pain and disease and loss and and uh, all the, these, these kind of experiences we have if they're accepted then we can understand them
now getting back to intuition when we trust much more in in intuitive awareness then we think that's like faith or a level of trust because usually we say we we don't trust we're we, we have we don't have much faith we, we're trying to control life we're trying to we we want even we would like to even have false uh, uh, affirmations made tell me everything is all right please tell me you love me even though you don't tell me you love me tell me everything is okay even though it is <laughs> please say everything is 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 uh, is getting better and better. Please tell me I'm okay, even though I'm not. <laughs> we would we would we would we would if we we're really uh, frightened and insecure. We we'll settle for even lies, illusions. Uh, you can see us contemplating the nature of like the uh, cinema. Oh, one can one can just be so completely caught up into these uh, shadows on a screen, these pictures uh, projected onto a screen, uh, men and women uh, uh, acting out various uh, melodram melodramas, and we can be we can be elated, we can be depressed, we can laugh, we can cry all according to the, these illusions projected onto a screen. And so life can be merely just that, a seeking after this illusory cinema, uh, uh, merely projections onto a screen of things that have no real uh, essential nature, no real value. Just a world, uh, just a life based on Delusion and and uh, and a constant uh, support of delusion. Where well, say in the human heart, there's this opportunity to awaken to truth. This is what religion is about. And to awaken to truth means we we awaken to the suffering that we have. Which is, uh, which might sound like uh, that it, it is a hard, it's a difficult thing to do, but but it's actually once you once you uh, start doing it, it's a it's a relief because it liberates you from that kind of, of mental state of, of anxiety and worry, uh, fear of the future, fear of death fear of loss even before these things happen to you you can you can be uh, worried and anxious about the possibility of them happening but when you understand your true nature the nature of and the, and the, and you say in buddhist word dhamma when you see the dhamma of a situation then you find liberation peace contentment within the changing conditions, no matter what way they change, is no longer the issue. Because we can cope with whatever changes happen if we're mindful and we use wisdom. 
human beings, we're very resilient, we're very tough creatures actually. We're, we can endure almost anything. We have uh, amazing abilities to, to endure all forms of torture, suffering, humiliation. We can't endure all that. But we make ourselves sick with worry about possibility of not being able to buy a new car next year. Or we can we can carry things from the past, unresolved things, uh, emotions from our past into and let that kind of distort and corrupt uh, our our life in the present. But once we see that see what we're doing, then we we let go and we let go of this cause of suffering, and then we find our contentment is in awareness, mindfulness. Our, we have trust in our intuition, not belief on a personal level that, that my intuitions are right, but the trust, the sense of, of willingness to be sensitive, not fear uh, our sensitive state, willing to, to look and to experience suffering and pain rather mm -hmm. than to desperately try to avoid it or deny it or escape it. We begin to see even the, the challenges of our life, the, the tragedies, the, the difficult patches, the obstacles, are the very things that strengthen us. In my own uh, life, I, I see that so many of the very difficult times where I've had the a lot of unhappiness or doubts or despair uh, that those through uh, through uh, those experiences there's a, a very a strengthening process that takes place that what if you learn if you willing to endure willing to struggle willing to look at what you're most frightened of or what you're most uh, deluded by what is most painful for you in that process is a, a tremendous kind of sense of strength and confidence that comes through these uh, trials of life ordeals sometimes we have to counsel with people with terminal illnesses interesting people with cancer or terminal cancer illnesses like AIDS things like this where they're uh, they know they're they're going to die you know because we all know we're going to die but they know they're going to die sooner than they and we think we're going to die and somehow in you say you've got <coughs> six months left to live it uh, makes it your life more immediate that the six months is more important to you than uh, six years and so these these kind of experiences can be very strengthening for people 
if you if they're willing to to accept and look at they can be the very the very thing that enlightens them the very kind of catalyst that that moves them towards <coughs> a profound understanding of their own life and themselves and their existence but before they might have just <coughs> drifted along with the illusions of youth and success and and uh, the hopes and delusions of of a worldly conditioned mind. In this past year, we lost three senior monks here in England. So, disrobed. Not they didn't die, but they disrobed, much to the dismay and shock of many people. And so I get these these letters, very nice letters, uh, consolation to me. Uh, I think people are afraid I'm going to disappear soon. They're all Americans too. too. But uh, don't worry about that. I have no intention. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also to be seen in in terms of dhamma. It's, it can be in the worldly sense. One feels that when when the when somebody's rocking the boat, you know, everything seems to be. You know, several of these monks seem to be kind of like rocks of Gibraltar. You know, they're kind of stable, strong. Uh, teachers, gurus that you can put your heart, you can trust, you know, they're not going to let you down. They're going to be there no matter what. And then suddenly they run away. And so people get disillusioned with with their, uh, and, and get very upset and uh, disturbed by this. Understandably, but also we can use this as a way to to strengthen our own practice and to find our refuge within ourselves, rather than than putting so much importance on the conduct and and uh, external appearances or or seeming stability of somebody else. I, years ago, I, I came across this in, in Thailand when I was uh, when I was a fairly new monk. Some of, I remember uh, the second uh, year I was with Ajahn Chah. They he ordained forty bhikkhus before the Vasa retreat, and. Uh, and after the Vasa retreat, which was three months, about 39 disrobed. And I was very upset. I wasn't. I didn't understand all the, the Thai custom very well. And I thought, well, how could anyone, you know, if you had a teacher like Ajahn Chah, how could you, how could you be so callous and silly? In three months, you, you know, you just. <laughs> Kind of settling down, if that, and then suddenly they all eager to have tailor-made trousers and, and 
after being behind a strict vinai amongst the three months, they go off and smoke cigarettes and wear tight fitting trousers and that very worldly and you think this is disappointing. <laughs> See uh, the lack of, of uh, sincerity. And then uh, we'd get news uh, from the grape, the Buddhist grapevine around the world. There's a, there's a, the Buddhist world is actually a very small world. Even in northeast Thailand, it seems remote and far away from everything else. In, in a, in a, in, at least in my perception of the world in those days, we managed to get all the gossip. What was happening in America, what was happening in various places. And uh, you'd hear about various gurus uh, kind of scandals and and uh, disappointments of people in, in various teachers gurus and swamis and you name it and we, we'd hear about this in Thailand and so I think uh, I think what would you do if Ajahn Chah disrobed I was very admired Ajahn Chah. I said, what would you do, myself, what would I do, if Ajahn Chah disrobed? Would you, would you feel you had to disrobe because he did? And I thought, well, if, if, that, if that's where you're at, then it's not good enough. If you're just a monk because of Ajahn Chah, and then if Ajahn Chah disrobes, you disrobe. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in that that I can respect. So you have to make yourself strong within your within yourself, rather than just very devoted and dependent on a, a on a very charismatic and wise teacher. What would I do if the Dalai Lama disrobed? Uh, these other kind of uh, icons of the Buddhist world that we 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 exalt. What would I do if if uh, my other Icon Buddhadasa Bhikkhu in in the southern time. What if he suddenly just announced to the world, Buddha Dhamma was false, wasn't true, waste of time. Would I? What would I do? Should I disrobe because Buddhadasa condemns? So contemplating this, I, 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 one has to make. One has to really develop that sense within yourself. What you know, what you're doing. You know why you're a monk, and you and you're using this form uh, as a form for for awakening your mind, not just uh, kind of following uh, in the in the wake of of great and famous and exalted teachers. Even though one appreciates them enormously, not that that uh, I didn't I, I lost my appreciation. I do. I have great respect for Dalai Lama or for. Buddhadasa Bhikkhu, my own teacher who who died last January, there's uh, still enormous gratitude and respect there. But there's not emotional dependence. What they do, what happens, is not going to affect my my uh, practice of the Dhamma. And so many times we're we're attracted to maybe Buddhist groups or that through the charisma and and uh, uh, power and personality or the wisdom of 
of an individual teacher. That's fair enough. That's also uh, something that could be appreciated. But we have to get beyond that in our practice. Because if, if we're just admiring and, and, and falling in love and infatuated with, with, uh, with another being, they're going to fail us in the long run in some way or another. Uh, you know, like my teacher died. <laughs> he was ill for ten years, couldn't speak for ten years. And that was disappointing. I don't know. He was a he was a really charming man. You know, he used to Ajahn Santa and I we, Ajahn Titiniano also, Honorable Titiniano, we were all mesmerized by his wit and charm years ago in Thailand. We were all monks together sitting under Lung Po Cha's kuti. And uh, one just felt uh, such a, you know, one, I really enjoy listening to him or being around him. And then he, then when he had his stroke, he was like, it wasn't very pleasant to be around anymore. I remember going to the hospital after the Vasa, that he had the stroke over ten years ago, after the Vasa retreat here in England, I rushed over to Bangkok. And he was in a hospital in Bangkok, and like a big lump of, you know, old man sitting in a wheelchair and uh, unable to speak. And uh, I one just felt uh, tremendous grief, loss. And one could see the desire, I had this tremendous desire that he get well, so that, that I wanted him to be like the Ajahn Chah I knew. I didn't like the Ajahn Chah that I saw. <laughs> I don't want him to be like that. I want him to be like he was. You know, bullient and charming and, and uh, you know, somebody you really enjoyed being around. You could say, my teacher is, and talk about your teacher, and Ajahn Chah told me this, and Ajahn Chah told me that. When all that fell, all that was lost. Then one had to take care of Ajahn Chah, because he couldn't do anything. But then that is the, that is the way life is, and say in that instance, if, 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 my, if my existence as a Buddhist monk was merely dependent on Ajahn Chah's good health, then I wouldn't. I could have had. I would have been disillusioned when he when he lost his health. But because of uh, a determination and and an insight beyond that, then I just I, I uh, and the teaching of Lung Po Cha was was to uh, to practice with with these experiences of life, so that that uh, those of us who who really listen to him, we. We use our own sense of grief or or the feelings that we did have around his his uh, poor health, his inability to do anything for ten years, uh, the uh, the uh, kind of what happened to him uh, and his death. In the religious world, we have. Uh, when I was 
the, I remember growing up in the uh, Episcopal Church in America and, and uh, there always uh, some kind of scandals or things that weren't right in, in the as a child, my parents were very much involved with the with the parish in Seattle, and, we, and so I, you know, I hear all these things. And you realize that that uh, religious people are oftentimes are, you know, some of the worst gossips, and and uh, also many people try and and fail, or or they they have an inspiration, they have a period of going on a high or being very successful and then they collapse or things like this is this is uh, this is things change that uh, uh, you can't sustain or maintain a high highs are, are are kind of peaks and then they then they collapse so, so they they take you to the lows so that, that when you when you realize this in, in terms of dhamma then you you free yourself from uh, expecting your guru, your religion, your teacher, and all that to be a constant source of inspiration and and support for you. You can allow their demise or their collapse. It's all right if you if you're reflecting on it in the terms of dhamma. Then it, it's not that we. It's all right in, in, a, in, a, in a moral sense, but it, this we can endure, this we can learn from, this we can uh, integrate into our practice of Dhamma. to express my appreciation for the all the uh, hospitality kindness that I've received from the Devon Buddhists during my brief stay here Ajahn Santa for his sensitivity and hospitality and he always tries to take me on interesting walks and uh, <coughs> Makes my life very enjoyable. There <laughs> were <laughs> people that provide incredibly delicious food every day. People are, are into very, very uh, things like people living in Devon are gourmets or into. Uh, Preparing uh, very very fine meals for monks anyway. <laughs> and even though one is not in any way deluded by the or or caught up in any way whatsoever with the taste of delicious food, I'm totally equanimous. <laughs> Still appreciated. <laughs>